I just feel like in the industry, you're almost rewarded for terrible behavior. It's almost like, oh, you're not a good person, so we're going to reward you for <laughs> for that, <laughs> which is so crazy. Hey there, readers. Welcome back to a brand new episode of The Book Was Better. Each week, I deep dive into all things literature with some special guests, fun games, and all the book talk to you on your For You page. If you're into reading, this is going to be your new favorite podcast. And if you're not, I guarantee you'll be converted. So nestle into a cozy corner, grab your cup of tea, and let's get started. So guys, we've had some amazing guests on the podcast so far, but today I decided to just check in with you one-on-one and talk about one of my favorite books of the year so far. This is a book talk favorite, and I have talked about it in a few other episodes and a lot on my book talk page, but it is Yellow Face by R.F. Kuang. It does not have an adaptation yet since it just came out, but I know that it will have one very, very soon. Uh, so yeah, let's get into it. So... I read Yellowface recently. Obviously, it's been all over book talk, and I was very excited. I actually have never read anything by R.F. Kuang before. She wrote the Poppy War series and Babel, and for whatever reason, I don't know, I guess those just didn't fully feel like they were in my wheelhouse, so I have yet to read them. But as soon as I read the synopsis for Yellowface, I was so excited and I felt like it was just so interesting and so different than anything that I've seen done before. It's such a unique premise and obviously I'll get into what it's about, but it's so interesting for RF Kuang to do it because she is publishing's darling and it is very much a satirical book about the publishing industry and the incongruencies within it and it just makes it even more funny and exciting that she is the one that released it so yellow face is essentially about two young women june hayward and athena Liu. and athena is asian american and june is white And they both are young authors. They both went to Yale together. And Athena, at this point, is a lot more successful than June is. She is also very much like R.F. Kuang. She is like publishing's darling. She is getting all the bestsellers. And she's just very much almost like a Sally Rooney in the book. And she and June are almost, they're kind of like frenemies where... They went to school together and kind of are have always been on like the same path, but they almost have this weird, like kind of almost competitiveness between the two of them. And June has not had very much success at all in her writing career thus far. And in the very first chapter, this is not a spoiler at all because you will <laughs> read this on the on the dust jacket, but Athena tragically passes away out of nowhere. And June ends up stealing one of Athena's unpublished manuscripts and publishing it as her own. And to make it even worse, the book that June steals from Athena is about Chinese labor within World War I. And Again, she publishes it as her own, and the book takes off. It does very, very well. Now June is on all of the bestseller lists, and she's doing all of these crazy interviews, and she's getting all of these amazing publishing deals, making all of this money, and now she is, in a way, publishing's darling. And the book touches on just so many good points, 
like I was saying earlier, the incongruencies within the publishing industry. It touches on white privilege. It touches on appropriation. And it touches on cancel culture in ways in a very funny way. And again, it just is even funnier that R.F. Kuang is the one that came out with this because it's just it's so perfect. And it was just one of my favorite books, if not my favorite book that has come out this year, because it is satirical. It makes you uncomfortable. It makes you squirm. It gives you that secondhand embarrassment almost. But it's also thrilling and page turning and it's really pacey. You really don't want to put it down. So, yeah, I absolutely loved it. So something that is also very interesting about this book that I feel like I haven't really heard a bunch of people touch on is whenever I see negative reviews about this book, a lot of the people say that they don't like it because (laughs) because June is unlikable. Obviously, I'm sure people don't maybe realize this, but that is the whole point of the book. You're not supposed to like her. You're not supposed to agree with what she's doing. You're not supposed to feel badly for her. But a side that's really interesting within the story is I actually didn't like any of the characters within the book. I felt like every single character was very, very unlikable. You almost, for the first big chunk of the book, you feel badly for Athena because obviously she's passed away and June steals this manuscript and is now becoming successful off of Athena's work. And you feel badly for Athena's family and whatever. But through flashbacks of June's, you actually realize that Athena was not a very good person either. And it's interesting because you have this almost like morally gray area because I feel like if you're not like in tune with white privilege and like appropriation, you almost could feel badly for June <laughs> because of how much like backlash she ends up getting and all of these things. But and you almost question because Athena is a bad person. You're like, OK, what June is doing is wrong. But Athena also wasn't a good person. So it's this almost this back and forth situation that you go through in your mind, which is so interesting and such a unique thing that R.F. Kuang did. And something that she touches on quite a bit that is also really interesting is within the publishing industry in this particular story, they all almost help June continue to do what she's doing. They don't make her think what she's doing is wrong whatsoever. Even when in the book there is proof that she stole Athena's manuscript, they don't really care. They kind of just want to continue basking in the success of the story. They get her, they continue to get her more deals and more money. And it just becomes this cycle where, again, you almost kind of feel badly for June because in a sense, the publishing industry can be so toxic where you get that like little bit of fame and that little bit of money and that little bit of success. And it's almost this thing that you're constantly trying to grab and constantly trying to reach for. You get this little sliver of success and it feels so good. And so obviously you feel badly for her in that sense, but it is so... I think so common (laughs) these days. I've talked about my opinions about Colleen Hoover a million times on my page. Um, But I almost feel that way with her. I think certain aspects of her stories are kind of toxic. Um, But 
of course, the publishing industry loves money and loves success and wants their books to sell. So they don't really care under what circumstances that happens. And it almost makes me wonder when I was reading this book, if it's like R.F. Kuang's like angry letter to the publishing industry, almost her, you know, all of the things that are wrong. And again, that makes it so much more interesting because she is kind of just like her saying, like, I don't care. I don't care what the publishing industry thinks of me after I publish this. And she has been so successful over the last few years. So very cool and very ballsy of her to do it, which we love. Something else that I thought was so unique and smart for this book is that the dust jacket of the book is yellow, very iconic, very cool. But when you take the dust jacket off, the book is white, which is so smart and so cool. And obviously, who knows if that was on purpose, but I think it was. I think it is so cool and smart and unique and all of the things. And I just, I just absolutely loved the story so, so, so much. I also wrote this quote from R.F. Kuang, which I think is... I copied this down. So R.F. Kuang did an interview with Interview Mag, and the whole interview is just so interesting and so cool to think of her perspective on writing her first literary fiction novel and just all of the things that went into it. It's interesting because with June, you would think that June is so opposite of R.F. Kuang. And in my point of view, I would have thought that she would have been kind of difficult to write because she's so unlikable and so backwards and does so many things that are very morally wrong. But R.F. Kuang actually wrote a quote within the interview saying that June was actually very easy for her to write. And I took down the quote because I thought it was so interesting. So she said, The reason why it was so easy to write from June's perspective was because I know June. We all know June. She's not one particular person, but she's the condensed point of all this negative energy that I've experienced through publishing. She's all the white paranoias and suspicions and jealousies and arrogance that I've dealt with. I know that voice because I hear it constantly. I hear it so much that in a way I've internalized it and it becomes my own worst critic. When I think I'm getting a bit too successful or I'm thinking too highly of my work, June's voice speaks up and says, no, you don't deserve this. You're not that special. The only reason why you're getting any of this attention is because you're Asian and a minority. It's hard to have that voice constantly present with you because I think that any marginalized writer with any degree of success or a platform starts internalizing that doubt because those accusations are made about us constantly. So in a way, it was very cathartic to finally put her voice on the page because that way I have some semblance of control over it. I thought that was just absolute perfection. She is so smart and so genius. And I think that is something that is so backwards with the world today where now finally minorities are getting a voice and are getting the opportunity to be successful in these industries such as writing or music or art or whatever it is. And now people are now having a problem with that. It's almost like, of course, they're successful because they're a minority, which is so backwards and so just wrong. And again, it just makes it that much better that she decided to write a story that was so focused on that. And again, I loved how much I disliked June. I feel like it really just showed all of the backwards things within society today. And I think it's such an important book. And I think if you're a reader at all, I feel like it's so important because it gives you such an inside look 
that we don't really see. I feel like we don't really get the ins and outs of what publishing really is and what it's really like and how backwards it can be. And it gives you just such a, you're almost like spying on, you know, what's really going on behind the scenes, which is so, so interesting and great. This story kind of reminds me of the Caroline Calloway and Natalie Beach drama. If you are not familiar, there was a girl, Caroline Calloway, who I believe now she's 27 and she has a very big Instagram following at this point. But years and years ago, she had a friend, Natalie Beach, who essentially wrote a well, fake memoir for Caroline, because obviously she, yeah. And Caroline got into Cambridge University with it. And she was selling these like $160 tickets to some like event, like writer's event that didn't end up materializing because she wasn't actually booking the venues. It was almost like the fire festival (laughs) situation. And it was almost this like similar kind of frenemy situation where they were working together, but then Caroline got all of this crazy success, but then was actually not, I mean, I don't know her (laughs) obviously, but it was doing things that are obviously not morally right. And Natalie just kind of obviously helped get her to where she was and did not really get any credit or any recognition for it. And now she has like 800,000 followers, which is insane. <laughs> insane. Oh my God. Okay. And then she she made it her whole brand. She wrote a book called Scammer. And I guess she just kind of like owned the fact that she did it. And now she's famous for it, <laughs> which is insane. That's crazy. I guess that's one way to do it. It kind of goes back to what I was saying about the publishing industry. They don't really have a moral compass very much. All they care about is the drama and what sells and what's popular. And um, the fact that she was able to monopolize off of such a not very good thing and now is still so popular for it just goes to show how not right a lot of sides of the publishing industry are. Um, This is so kind of this is kind of off topic. But I don't know if anyone listening watches Vanderpump Rules. Um, I'm a very big Vanderpump Rules gal. And it's interesting because obviously we don't know the ins and outs of certain things. But hearing even just that, the sides of behind the scenes of that show and how certain people are making more money than another person and other people are making money because they're causing drama and because they're bringing so much to the show and... You know, even though their lives are literally ruined and they have horrible reputations and everyone hates them, they're almost, you know, given this like incentive to continue adding drama to the show because they're going to continue making money and because the show is so successful. And it's just so interesting how backwards so many things like that are. I just feel like in the industry, you're almost rewarded for terrible behavior. It's almost like, oh, you're not a good person. So we're going to reward you for <laughs> for that, <laughs> which is so crazy. It also, I think this book brings up a really interesting thing as well of should white people be writing about other cultures and other people's experiences, which obviously the answer is no. <laughs> but it's, it is interesting because 
I feel like it it's something that is touched on slightly with like Taylor Jenkins Reid, for instance. Taylor Jenkins Reid writes a lot. Every single book of hers, she writes about like the constant people within her books are Hispanic and she is a white woman. And it's very interesting because, again, her books are very successful, very popular, turned into all these shows and movies. And she is in a way as well, a publishing darling. And um, and it just goes to show, you know, to what extent will we allow this to continue? Because even though we all can sit here and say like, oh, yeah, that's wrong. She's still so successful and she's still selling all of these books and she's still being rewarded for it. So, yeah, it's definitely very interesting and something that I I wonder how long it will continue for. So, yeah, again, this is for sure, I think, the best book of the year. Um, I think that it will be talked about for a very, very, very long time. I think it's very important. And I think even if it's something that you don't feel like you would normally gravitate towards, I feel like it's definitely worth a read. I think anyone that is into reading or within the publishing industry should 100% read it and give it a shot. It's also very short and easy to breeze through and it's fast paced. And yeah, I just think you would be surprised by how much you would like it. Okay, so now on to a really cute little book talk story that I found that I had to share because I was literally tearing up watching this. So there is a man named Oliver James who was on the news. He is 35 years old, and he essentially was starting off talking about how he felt like he was very forgotten in school, like he was almost judged to be this bad kid. And so a lot of the teachers kind of grazed over him and didn't really pay attention to him. And he felt like he didn't get the attention that he needed in school. And he felt like a lot of the adults gave up on him and a lot of the teachers gave up on him. And he also did not grow up in a household where his parents were really watching over him and making sure that he was learning in the ways that he should. He didn't grow up with books in his house. He didn't grow up with tools to really be successful. And so he actually never learned how to read. And now he's 35 and he is not reading at a 35-year-old level. And growing up, he would... Like if he went out to eat or if he let's say he went to McDonald's, he would listen to what the person in front of him ordered and then he would order that because he couldn't read the menu. And when he got to be in like high school, college and girls would text him, he couldn't read what they were saying. So he would have his friends help like text them back for him. And anyways, then the pandemic happened and he didn't have anything to do. And obviously this is something he's always been really insecure about. So he felt like he wanted to dedicate the next five years to reading and to learning how to read. And so he said, in five years, I want to read 100 books. He is now at 40 books. He's read 40 since he started. And he started going on TikTok live. He would prop his phone up and he would pull out a book and he would like help the people on TikTok live would help him sound out the different words so cute. Um, and he is a father of two. He has, I think, a 10-month-old and like a 10-year-old. And he said that he has made it like his mission to never let his kids feel like they're not worthy of learning these things or getting the extra help that they need. And he says that his 10-year-old is reading 
better than he does, which obviously is sad, but makes him really happy that he is doing that and has given his kids the opportunity to do that. But he is now reading at a fourth grade level, which is great considering he wasn't able to read at all a few years ago. And he basically was just saying that he wanted to spread the importance that, you know, reading isn't really something that is super focused on these days. And obviously within schools now, like you're using your computers and laptops and tablets. And he just wanted to say that there is really nothing more important than that. And there's such an importance in reading and to just really spread the word to make sure that your kids feel supported in the ways that they do. But I just thought it was so cute that the Book Talk community was helping him sound out his words. And I just thought that was like the sweetest thing ever and really just goes to show the power of social media and how incredible it is. And that something really amazing came out of the pandemic for him, which is awesome. With that, that's our episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Book Was Better. Let me know what you guys thought of my solo episode and stay tuned for upcoming episodes with exciting guests. You can follow me at at underscore the book was better on TikTok and at the book was better IG on Instagram. Don't forget to follow, rate, and review The Book Was Better wherever you get your podcasts and I will see you next week.